Welcome to a bonus episode of The Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for a Thursday edition for a few reasons. We've got both have a story up on The Athletic on Thursday that we wanted to talk about. But first, you uh, were in Scottsdale for a few days, all the hobnobbing and the networking that goes on there. I wasn't able to join this year. What, what were some of the highlights? Uh, as you said, there was a lot of media there, maybe not as much as athletic people as we normally had, but it was, uh, Andy, Nicole and Chris Fanini were all there as well. And I had a bunch of my Fox sports colleagues, but it's, you know, it's one of these things where this year there weren't as there, there were hardly any big 10 coaches there. Cause there weren't big 10 coaches meetings as there normally are. Um, there were still a few guys who showed up from the conference. You didn't have coaches from texas and ou yeah at the big 12 meetings you didn't have lincoln riley and chip kelly from the pac-12 meetings um you know you did have you did huh, have they're already being shut out a year in advance well it was like almost what's the point of that at that point because they are you know a lot of that stuff is looking long term at different hmm. things some of the discussions that i thought you know that i was told were interesting in these meetings were everything from looking from the leadership of, of you know ad's looking about what does um, you know, what does the, what does the product on TV or on your computer look like? How are these challenges streaming versus, you know, the traditional models that we were so accustomed to? I think there's a lot of people who are in leadership, both in, uh, at universities, but even in conferences are trying to sort that out as it's been well-documented. I don't know if it's been well-documented, but it's been documented <laughs> about, um, just all the machinations of, of what's going on with the Pac-12 um, broadcast and TV deal and where that's going and, uh, you know, how that relates to potential realignment issues. Um, there's a lot of rumblings, a lot of rumors. And and right now people are in something of a holding pattern. Um, so there was that. And it's just good to see people. I have one story, Stu. I'm going to say this for later in the podcast, but it was just so bizarre to me. You know, at these events, you end up, you know, you end up seeing people or meeting their wives and talking and, you know, just one of the conversations I had, um, and I'll tell this and you can, you know, hopefully you can't figure out who it is, but like, I was talking to somebody and we were talking about a coach I know, and it's a coach that you and I both, you know, respect and think this person has done a really good job over the years and, and at times was, was, um, you know, a little bit of a polarizing subject. So I was telling this story um, to a wife of, of somebody there who I had just met that night. And we were just kind of talking about all sorts of things. And I kind of went into detail. And it wasn't like a contentious story of like me and this particular coach. And so at one point she goes, well, what did he say back? And I said, you know what? I can actually tell you exactly what he said back. I'll go into my DM because we DM'd about it. And then I looked at it and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I'm blocked. I'm blocked. And I was like so shocked. And um, it was one of those things where this person just kind of, she was just kind of laughed and laughed. And I was like, what the hell? You know? And it was just kind of like one of these things where, again, it's it's somebody, it's not like I've written, I don't think I've written anything negative about this this person. 
but I don't know when, you know, it's like, I don't know if I've ever had one of those. It's one thing when like people unfollow you and that's all good. You know, it doesn't matter. And it's all, I don't care that this person, I don't know if I don't care that they blocked me. I was just puzzled by it. You know, I was like, what prompted this? So generally very thin skinned people block uh, somebody for something like, like I will block somebody if they, you know, are, are harassing me using profanity, et cetera. But if, if I'm a coach and I'm like, I can't believe Bruce said that, uh, you know, my, uh, defense isn't very good block that, that would be something else. Okay. So just for our listeners audience sake, Stu just took a guess of who he thought the coach was and he was incorrect. So, yeah. And so if I can't identify who it is, then I, I would assume our listeners won't be able to either. So thanks. Maybe it'll spawn a little bit of a, a guessing game. Um, but that is an amusing story. Any other, what's like, what's the hottest piece of gossip that you heard there? The hottest piece of gossip. I, I don't, the thing, my biggest takeaway from this trip was, it was this. So, you know, full disclosure, you know, uh, my colleagues on the Fox side and, and guys, you know, some of my bosses came from NFL Network where they work with Deion Sanders. So they know Dion well, and they have good relationship, a really good relationship with him. And so we were walking somewhere and Dion saw one of the Bardia, who's like kind of our talent whisperer, I would describe. Like he's, to say he's like A-Rod's guy or he's Big Poppy's guy or, you know, wh whoever is just the, you know, like he's just really good at what he does. But he has that relationship with Dion. And... So we were walking somewhere from one, like basically from, I think we were walking from like one of one event to another and happened to see him on the grounds of this place is Ganey. It's the Ganey ranch resort at the Hyatt in Scottsdale. It's pretty amazing. Um, and so, but just as like kind of sit there and listen to some of the stories and them talk and kind of, I don't, like I was trying to explain this even to my wife. It was like, this was not for the cameras. This was not, this was just kind of like, like, and I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It was just like, it was fascinating to watch somebody. I thought about this as in the moment I thought about it subsequent. I've never been around anybody and I've met him once before years ago. And I've certainly obviously seen him on TV and seen him all, but I've never been around anybody quite like that in terms of to listen to them talk to hear them tell stories, to be, you know, them, they're in their, in their own skin, like their true selves as that charismatic, as that dynamic of a personality, there isn't anybody like him. Like months ago, you and I had this conversation about well, who do you think is charismatic among college football coaches? You yeah. Know? And, and there's no close man. second. There is no close second. There's nobody. It's like, there is nothing like it. You know, and so and to hear him kind of talk about, you know, how it's going there, some of the other stuff and some of that stuff was, you know, like to say it's off the record because it wasn't like there was anybody, you, you know, it's just him, him sharing that. And then later on, you know, some of our group ended up kind of circling back with him and he was kind of holding court. It is just like I, I say all this to get to this. So Max Olson and I have been working on a story for a couple of weeks, really about, it was like multifaceted, right? And it was about how is it schools and especially 
Colorado do take massive numbers of transfers. And how do you, especially this late in the game, and you're after spring football, how do you go through the vetting process of what you're getting? How do you, how do you think they fit in the locker room? How do you manage a roster? There's a, there's a lot of angles at this. Dion certainly, because he has been transparent in some of his comments, so much so that I think sometimes, you know, some of the, one of the coaches we talked to, we talked to like a dozen guys, some off the record, some on the record. Most of the on, most of the off the record were guys who are not head coaches. There were personnel people in college programs who are not authorized to speak on the record. But like some of the other coaches, you know, has some of the other head coaches were like, you know, some of the things Dion says, if I said them, you know, if, you know, like it would just land differently. But because he is Dion Sanders. He, because of his persona, um, you know, as one of these all-time great football players, is a, you know, it's like Charles Barkley can say things that, you know, that um, the average basketball analyst probably can't say. Charles Barkley could say things that Mark Jackson probably couldn't say. Charles, Bar you know, like, and Dion is falls into that, you know, rarefied air. But so to hear kind of, you know, to, to hear him talking about some of this stuff offline and then you know some of the other things that we got into but one thing that jumped out at me was you know a lot of these people that we talked to for this story that you know went up today on the athletic thursday was they were like this there's almost no way this can be done like this there's you know a lot of people a lot of coaches had said this time in the portal this post-spring window there's just not a lot of good, there's a lot of players. There's not a lot of quality in it. It's quantity. And it's much different than what it was like last year. And so they're looking at the numbers going, you're not going to just be able to get those top guys. And the one thing that I kept on thinking, and like, you can say, okay, you know, how much is NIL a part of this? I think there's rumbling certainly of like, okay, if you're going to have a master plan, does that mean you're identifying people before they're in the portal and how's that working? And, you know, those rumblings are all, those rumblings are all over college football. They're not unique to one specific program, but I think people are looking at it going, well, if you're going to take a lot of guys, you know, how is this happening? But I come back to this, you know, Deion Sanders gets on a Zoom with a player and his family. It's going to resonate differently than any other coach because most of those folks are going to feel like they know him before because of who he is, not just because of his commercials, but because he has a persona that almost none of these coaches have it. You know, you can pick the coach. They, you know, it's just not Mike Norvell, Mel Tucker, whoever. They just don't have the same kind of presence to them. They do not speak the same way. They do not. It just like it's unless you've been around it, I guess maybe you could, you know, like it just was like, it's kind of, it's really eye opening. And so when Max and I were working on the story, you know, he sent me, you know, part of it. And I wrote back, it was like, you know, when he got the job at Jackson state, I think people were super skeptical because, Oh, it's, it's college football. And there's a lot of protocols and there's a lot of different things to managing and you got to grind for this and you know, all that. And then, you know, he was like 23 and three in his last three years at a program that didn't have a winning season the previous six years. But to me, the most eye-opening thing was he got Travis Hunter, who was the number one recruit in the entire country, to go to an FCS school. 
And then he got him to follow him. And then he got Cormani McLean, a five-star recruit, to go to Colorado when he would never have thought to go to Colorado. And so you're like, okay, be careful dismissing him because you don't, you just don't see any way that this works when he's just different, you know? So that's, I, I think the story crystallized after being there a little bit of an angle, we had a kind of a macro story that I think becomes micro. We had a micro story that I think becomes macro where it's like, this feels like it's Deion Sanders against the college football establishment, because you're not supposed to be able to, 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 to do what they're attempting to do. I think that's exactly right. But I also think you're, you're almost talking about two different it's, if you will, there's the, if people are questioning whether he's going to be successful there over the next several years, you know, that's, I happen to think he will be because of exactly what you said. He showed he could, he's shown he can do something like that already, but your story really gets into the nitty gritty of, can they field a functional roster this coming year? when they are literally down to 12 returning scholarship players. Um, as of today, as of the story coming out, they have 66 players, 66 scholarship players who are either, you know, there or are c- coming in uh, as freshmen or transfers. Without so they a still have another without a spring football to practice in new systems or anything like that. Yeah. That's another 19 to go to get to 85. And the reality is, as these guys are saying, there's not that much, talent in the in the transfer portal right now now Dion did not hide the fact that you know they kind of already that he said to, to on the Pat McAfee show we already know who we're getting and you guys don't know yet he he inferred that you know basically they've already lined up all the replacements what they just haven't necessarily publicly it hasn't been committed yet. yet yeah but they would have to be in the portal by now the window just closed and there's only really a few kind of big names like they're you know, believed to be the favorite for uh, Alton McCaskill, the fourth, who was the uh, star running back at Houston. The AAC rookie of the year in 2021. And then he got in. Yeah. So that's a big get if they could get him. But I think what's interesting is to hear from these other coaches is, yeah, he can get some high quality players like that. But what about just pure numbers and depth? And, you know, because they're basically going to have to fill out most of those other spots with, or are, you who, some, or are you also getting some grad transfers who, you know, it's yeah, different. that would, that yeah, would, that's, that's true. The part that I think people may be overlooking is the grad transfers don't necessarily need to be in the portal right now. And those are bodies. Like one of the coaches I talked to said, I'm curious how this works out. If you take five guys at a position who have one year of eligibility left, because then what does it do for your, you know, your future there? I think right now, I think Dion is, and he didn't say this, but I think you're looking at a two-year window right now. Look, they were horrible last year. They won one game. If he gets them to four or five wins, that's a dramatic improvement. And I do think he'll probably get them to four or five wins. And then the next year, as you do get them to eight wins, right? I think they will, they would be dangerous, I suspect, if it was a seven-on-seven game because- He's got good DBs and he's going to have really good receivers. And look, if he gets McCaskill, then he'll have one really good running back. And I'm sure they'll probably be able to get another. The question again, circles back to who's going to block for these guys. Right. And, um, you know, it, it takes time for offensive lines to gel. Right. But again, you're kind of playing with the house's money when you were so bad the year before, when you were a one win team. And let's be realistic. Colorado has been horrific for a long, long time. 
he has absolutely made them nationally relevant. They will absolutely be nationally relevant and must see TV, especially in the first you know month of the season. But again, I think there will probably be people who will end up at CU this summer, who you know players who will end up at CU this summer, who people are like, oh, I didn't know that guy was going there or whatever. Or yeah, who guys, aren't who aren't in the portal? Who aren't in the portal? Yeah, and that's a key distinction because of the based on who's out there right now. Um, I don't, you know, look, they are going to be a more talented team. It would be hard not to be. They're going to have more high. I mean, I think his son, Shador Sanders, is going to be a, a, you know, game changing quarterback, uh, which they absolutely did not have in the last. Uh, when's the last time Colorado had a game changing quarterback? Cordell Stewart. No offense, Joel. I'm sorry. I just realized I stepped in right there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Joel even knows what would say he was a. a no, but I, I, I mean, Cordell Cody Stewart. Hawkins. No, just kidding. Cordell. No, Stewart. but the key quote in here, I think, is is, which is you know very valid, and granted, maybe this person is also trying to recruit Alden McCaskill. I don't know, but he says, if you're him, don't you have to wonder who you're going to be running behind? Dion let the entire O line go. So, like you said, like okay, you have this great running back. But w- the great running backs can get hurt in the second game if they can't block. And then you start worrying about depth. Is he going to have, you know, 25, let's say he has 25 guys who most teams in the country would want to have. But what if in the next 50 are basically, you know, um, group of five or FCS quality players who that's just who is available. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating offseason or rest of offseason to see exactly who he can bring in. And, and you're right. Like if it ends up being some really big name players who are grad transfers, they, they could they could go in July. Um, you know, still some time to, to 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 see how that pans out. I can tell you one thing. My uh, post spring top 25 went up on the athletic Thursday. And I'm sorry, but I did not think to include Colorado. Okay, but let's let's talk about some of your changes, right? Because you did this six months ago, four four months ago. Um, let's start with the the biggest I you know mover. Um, what is it that you have fallen for this time with Steve Sarkeesian's Texas program? They were not in there the first time. Now, not only did they cracked the top twenty five, they cracked the top twenty all the way up to nineteen. Yeah, tell us why couple things. Um, as much as I've been a skeptic of Quinn Ewers, he definitely looked good. And he, he looked a lot better uh, in the spring game. Enough so throughout the spring, you know, I think some people wondered, is he going to get beat out by Arch Manning? Uh, possibly even Malik Murphy? No. Sark came right out after the game. He's our starting quarterback. So that's a good sign. They were already good at receiver. I mean, uh, and, and then you add A.D. Mitchell from Georgia. A lot of these teams, Bruce, that I'm moving up or down, a lot of it honestly is who did they get in the portal since January 10th? And then of those guys, which ones are we hearing, you know, came in and had a big impact? So uh, I think Texas will be better than they were last year. There are some people who think they're the clear favorite in the Big 12 this year because of all the, um, you know, TCU lost a ton of guys. K-State lost Deuce Vaughn. Uh, you know, go on down the list. It's just, I'm always going to, not always, but I will continue to have a little bit of cautious, uh, you know, little tempered enthusiasm, both because of the recent history 
And because let's be honest, Sark's been a college head coach for several years now and has yet to show he can produce a 10 and two, 11 and one kind of team. So I definitely was like, ah, oh, shoot, I, you know, leaving them out was a, was an overstatement, but, or an overreaction, or is it an underreaction? But 19, I'm, I'm not comfortable putting them much higher than that. Yeah. Do you know what Sark's best season ever was? It's probably nine and four at Washington. Uh, no, he never got nine and four at Washington. It was eight and four at Washington. His best season was nine in his first season at USC. They finished 20th. He went nine and four. They won the Holiday Bowl. Yeah. So this is the guy that Texas hired to lead them to let's be to lead them to national championships, but at the very least, get them to be among the elite teams in the country. Okay. I do think uh, he's recruited at a very high level, but now we got to see, we got to see those results pay off on the field. Okay. Without giving away too much of the article that you can get on the athletic, which went up as well today, Thursday, um, Michigan, which I feel like has been kind of at building buzz, number one recruiting class in the country. You've got some good transfers. They actually fell in your poll from two to three. Why was that? Really? You think that's controversial that they fell? one? I don't. Spot? I'm just curious. Like, <laughs> well, look, I mean, it's not so much about Michigan. It's about LSU. And I already was pretty high in LSU. As I read a lot of Brody Miller's coverage of spring, honestly, um, looked into it a little bit more. That team is loaded. I'm almost, I was almost like, what am I missing here? Why, why wouldn't I put this team? I had them fourth, uh, which is still pretty high. But why would I have this team uh, any lower than this? When you've got Jaden Daniels coming back, I think he'll be a Heisman contender. They've got at least two, if not three, great receivers. You know, I already know about Malik Neighbors. Kyron Lacey came on in the spring. Mason Taylor, really good tight end. I think it's a key thing, Bruce. All five starters back on the O-line. There are not, as I went through this, I don't know that there was, there might have been one other team in this thing that has all five stars back on their offensive line. And then defensive front seven, um, Mason Smith, Makai Wingo, Harold Perkins Jr., I think could be the Will Anderson of, of this season. And then I think Brian Kelly's done a really good job in the portal. Omar Spates was an all Pac-12 linebacker at Oregon State. You know, now he's going to be playing alongside Harold Perkins. So I just think that team is loaded. Uh, you know, people probably have, still have some hesitation about, am I really going to put LSU above Alabama? But we've talked about Alabama for several weeks now and the concerns we have about them. And I'm, I'm, I don't think it's a, it should be considered controversial. I have Michigan number three, they've, they've made the playoff two years in a row based on this, they would go back. Let's drill in a little deeper here. Cause I did notice a trend. Um, you had Michigan falling a little, you had Ohio state going from three to five and you had Penn state going from six to eight. So does that mean you just don't feel the same way about Penn State under the Big Ten now that Kevin Warren's out of the picture? Like, <laughs> you seem to drop everybody in the Big Ten out of your top ten. It's funny bit. you say that because, A, I didn't notice that, and B, the top three in the Big Ten East is going to be, like, I could see them all tying at eight and one. I noticed Dane Brugler's early, you know, he did his first 2024 mock. And I believe 10 of the 32 were from those three teams. So those are very good teams. I'm a little concerned about the uh, offensive line situation at Ohio State. He did go out and get a transfer from San Diego State uh, just, I think, a couple of days ago. But, you know, we we heard and saw all season or all, all spring that that's a question mark. Penn State is not so much like I got that one wrong. I just um, I think sometimes that one that I put out in January 
can be a little bit uh, unduly influenced by that the bowl game, what we just saw. And, and the bowl game for them was beating a pretty good Utah team in the Rose Bowl. But of course, Cam Rising got hurt in that game. It certainly played a part. So I still think number eight, number six, not a big difference. Um, and also the team that I moved ahead of them is Washington. And at the time that I did the January one, we knew Michael Penix was coming back. We did not know that all those receivers were coming back. Uh, that has a chance to be a just absolutely, I mean, already a very potent offense. Has a chance to be one of, if not the best in the country this year. And I, I do think the defense will be better. So it was more like I'm high on Washington than I'm down on Penn State. Okay. The last one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about, and I don't have a, you know, I'm not doubting this. I'm just curious. Uh, you have Clemson all the way down at 16. They weren't, they were 15 before. So it's not like you've, you've, you know, all of a sudden seen something to really drop them. I mean, 16 means they're not anywhere near a playoff team. So Garrett Riley comes in. Kate Klupnik was promising. Um, you know, Jeremiah Trotter, you're talking about mock drafts. People are really high on Jeremiah Trotter, they're a linebacker. Tyler Davis was a disruptive defensive lineman. He's still there. Like they, I can't believe Tyler Davis is still there. I can't believe um, they've got Clemson always seems to have some guys. They're very good at retaining players and convincing them not to turn pro yet. Xavier Thomas, remember five-star recruit. uh, He's had a bit of a disappointing, a lot of injuries. He's still there. Sixth year senior. Um, Just to point out though, I know that we're not that far removed from Clemson being an annual dominant team but the past two years they have finished 14th and 13th in the ap poll so this is not that far below it um and i do think that defense will be very good i just don't think they're that Dabo is stockpiling elite talent like he used to especially on offense i don't think he's got necessarily great receivers right now i don't think the offensive line has been particularly impressive the last couple years do think the defense will be very good so you could say, oh, well, you should have them back. That's too low. Maybe you should have them around where they've been the last couple of years. And I would, I would, you know, not have a problem with that. Could I swap them with number 15, Oregon or number 14, Kansas State? Sure. Um, but I think that I, I think that it's a program that is stagnant or slipping, not poised for a big bounce back. What do you think? I want to ask you this. So you have Alabama at six. Alabama does not have a quarterback who has proven. I mean, Clay, Cade Klubnick, I feel like I have more confidence in than Tyler Buckner or whoever Alabama is going to start, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no Will Anderson. Like, I don't know. Alabama still has really good players and they're, and they're, you know, all over their defense. But again, you just, we just talked a little bit about some of the players Clemson has. Um, I think Alabama has a better offensive line and a better defense. But at the same time, if I ask you this, I would think you have more confidence in Garrett Riley as an offensive mind than you would in Tommy Reese. Um, by the way, good story on, on Tommy Reese and the, what, if you're an Alabama fan to look at the offense, we have a deep dive on it scheme wise. Uh, that also went up today with Mike Kuchar. But if you are looking at it, you have Clemson, 16 and you have Alabama 10 spots um you know like with somebody you think is really really good in their own division so like that's a pretty big disparity I think that 
you could make if you took the name off the you know off the jerseys and just looked at who Alabama has coming back. Yeah, you might have them lower than I have them. But say it is Alabama. so low, given you really think highly, I think you do, of Garrett Riley. I think you think highly of Cade Klubnick. We just talked about some of the guys on the defense. I'm just like, I guess. I, I get what you're saying, but I, um, even Alabama in a down year last year was still much better than Clemson. Like, I, I don't think. I know that there was a period where they were, you know, kind of alternating at the top of the sport. I just don't think Clemson is in that group anymore. And and if you were to say which one of these teams is most likely to prove me wrong and finish, like, yeah, Clemson could finish 10th, 11th, 12th, something like that, you know, slightly higher than I haven't picked. And yet I would be uh, more surprised by that than I would if Alabama, who I'm picking sixth right now, like just comes out and place for another national title because that's the faith I have in Saban and the big difference. And I'll continue to say this Saban has embraced the transfer portal. Like every other coach in America, Dabo has not. Dabo is just going to continue riding the guys he's brought in and never try to upgrade the roster through the portal. The other teams he's competing against, the other teams you're talking about as the elite programs, they don't just sit back and say, well, we're going to ride with who we have. Like, we can up if we can find a guy who we can who can upgrade. We're going to do that. Georgia hasn't really had to do that because they're so their talent is so good. But most other teams have. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this, and then we can move on. Um, of that team of Clemson, knowing that they play at Duke, they're at Miami, at at uh, NC State, at South Carolina, but really the probably the the best team they would play is Florida State. Has to go there. If I ask you this. Over under on the chance that this team that you have disparaged to the degree you have this morning, um, percent chance that they could make the playoff, that they will make the playoff. And I set it at 10%. What do you higher? Take? Higher. Are you at 25%? No, somewhere between the two. What about you? So you're at 11%. I mean, this team did win 11 games last year and win the ACC. I know. Like, but they finished 13th in the poll. They got. I mean, I think it was not a great look for them that they got pretty dominated in the Orange Bowl by a Tennessee team that was without their star quarterback and their top two, you know, bunch of guys who had opted out. Maybe I'm putting too much stock in Garrett Riley. Well, I think Garrett Riley is a great OC, but Garrett Riley had, uh, let's not forget, he had Quentin Johnson. He had Kendra Miller, all these guys who were stud offensive weapons. I think he probably had more more high-end speed playmakers at TCU last year than he'll have at Clemson this year. Uh, he's going to have a he's going to have a quarterback who probably throws it consistently better than Max Duggan. I love, and Max, he's going to have a really good all-around versatile running back in Will Shipley. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll see. We got to wrap this bonus episode right now. We'll be back as we always are Monday of next week. Send your emails to audiblepod at gmail.com and go on the Athletic to read the two stories we just talked about. We'll see you next time. Thank you.